1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 and 5. We begin with a productive progress. New optimism out of Washington following the latest round of debt ceiling talks between President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy. However, still no deal. On Wall Street, recession warning signs growing louder and doing something for the first time in four decades. And speaking of red flags, while the bullish trend in big tech, it may be coming to an end. Plus, the streaming wars heating up this morning, courtesy of David Zaslav. Much more on that coming up later. And then later on the show, activists circling around a new name, urging a sale and sending one stock surging ahead of the open. It is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a bit of a mixed session for stocks yesterday, that saw the NASDAQ close at its highest level since August of 2020. This morning, a bit of a muted picture, however. The NASDAQ up fractionally, the S&P and the Dow Jones both down fractionally at this hour. We're also checking the bond market. We have seen some movement in the bond market as we get closer and closer to that so-called X date. We've seen the the yield on the 10-year benchmark creep up uh, over the month, but certainly over the last two days, now at 3.72. We're also seeing the same story when it comes to the two-year note at 4.36. We're going to talk much more about the inverted yield curve a little bit later in the show. We're also looking at energy, specifically oil, as we do every single morning. Let's begin with WTI, the U.S. benchmark, basically at 71.80, down just about a third of a percent. Brent crude, the international benchmark, basically at 75.75, also down a third of a percent. Natural gas, seeing even more movement there. It was a big day for natural gas yesterday, this morning, down a half a percent. We're also watching crypto, as we always do. This market trades around the clock. you got to remember that. Looking at Bitcoin this morning, still below that 30,000 mark. That seems to be key for the digital currency. Basically at 27,300 this morning, up almost 2%. Ether still below 2,000. Again, a key level for that digital currency, up over 2%. All right, now for a check on the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Gumide, he's standing by in our London newsroom with much more on the action overseas.
2: Arabile. Yeah, good morning. Frank, I haven't spoken to you in a while. Unfortunately, I join you, and the market has gone pretty red today, unfortunately. Across the board, most of the counters have really headed into some negative territory, with even the likes of the SMI in Switzerland and the CAC 40 more than 1% down uh, as well then today. Only the FTSE 100 managing some gains then as well. Of course, the is debt ceiling talks still in the markets, uh, a certain purview as well. You've also got PMI numbers coming out across the board then today. It does seem like a two-paced economy still exists within the, well, between most of Europe at this point in time. But the UK, all across that board, really down. The manufacturing number, services sector, as well as the composite PMI number, all headed lower and impacts there, bound to be uh, quite heavy as well. When one takes a look at the gainers and losers as well, uh, the stocks that we have seen kind of go down. The likes of Mondi have managed to pick up around 1%, though, having outperformed the market yesterday, continuing that swing. Even BAT managing uh, some gains as well Today, but really one really to focus on has been Julius Baer, uh, whose first quarter results showed a slight rise in net money inflows and assets under management at the start of the year. Net inflows even totaling three point five billion Swiss francs. So certainly a lot to worry about, perhaps for that company for now, more than seven percent lost for that company at present. Frank.
1: By the way, great to see you, too, man. We've got to keep this bromance going over finance, <laughs> Wall Street, international markets. Always great to course, see you. Airbilly course, Live in our London newsroom. Killing it on that wall, man. All right. Now to the latest developments around the debt ceiling talks. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy unable to strike a deal during their latest meeting yesterday afternoon. The two men meeting for about 90 minutes. The speaker offering a hopeful tone on the talks with just over a week to go until the X date when the U.S. could run out of cash. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with much more. Bree, good morning. Good
3: morning, Frank. Well, Monday's meeting at the White House ended without a concrete deal, but both sides say that they are working towards an agreement. Meanwhile, the Treasury Secretary is again warning of the severe consequences of a default.
0: Uh, that our debt is too large.
3: Different meeting, same outcome. No deal on raising the debt limit this morning following a high-stakes talk between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Both called the one-on-one discussion productive.
0: We only talked about where our differences were. We talked about items that, um, ideas to find that. So we're asking the staff to get back and run through those ideas to see if we could
1: come to an agreement.
3: President Biden expressed optimism even before the meeting started.
4: We still have some disagreements, but I think we may be able to get where we have to go.
3: Negotiation teams held late night talks on Capitol Hill where divisions over spending
4: cuts remain. It was very important that we spend less money next year than we're spending this year. That was imperative to us. President Biden has offered House Republicans is to
0: freeze spending at current fiscal year levels and the extreme mega republicans have rejected
3: in a letter to congressional leadership treasury secretary janet yellen doubled down on the june 1st deadline warning a default could cause severe hardship to american families across the country there's a growing sense of frustration they'll make it happen otherwise they won't be in office come the next time it comes for elections With Social Security checks and other benefits hanging in the balance, there's increasing pressure on federal leaders to act. And as part of negotiations, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says that new tax revenues and military spending cuts are off the table. Frank.
1: So, Brie, a lot of focus on what the House Speaker had to say. Did the president have anything to say after that meeting?
3: So, Frank, President Biden did not speak with reporters after the meeting. He did send out a statement saying that both he and Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, agreed that the only way to move forward is with a good faith bipartisan agreement. So, negotiators will be back at the table again over the next couple of days.
1: All right, our Bree Jackson live in D.C. Bree, great to see you as always. All right, turning back to Wall Street, a recession indicator flashing signals of a potential downturn now. For the longest stretch in more than 40 years. So take a look at this. The spread between the two-year and the 10-year Treasury notes, they've been inverted since July of last year. That's more than 220 consecutive trading days, marking the longest streak for an inverted yield curve since 1980. For more on this, let's bring in Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management and a member of the CNBC Financial Advisory Council. Ivory, always great to see you. Good to see you, Frank. All right. So we were just kind of showing the inverted yield curve. We're going to put it up one more time. We've been talking about this for months, as we just mentioned, 220 trading days. So all the way since July of last year. So in your mind, is this still is it still a recession indicator or has it been going on so long that maybe it's not giving us the same signals it once did?
0: No, I still think it's recessionary. Uh, It's just showing you that the growth prospects are aren't there. And that's reflected in in the the rates for the, you know, 10 year being less than Than the two-year, it's it's sort of a strange conundrum, because on one hand, we have all this bad economic data, not just the yield curve, but you've had earnings uh, growth decidedly negative, uh, GDP growth was 12% two years ago, now it's less than one, and yet the market still keeps marching higher. And I think now it's time to really focus in on your process and and stick to your guiding principles. Uh, I I suspect that if you you got 17 at the blackjack table and you drew a four, that didn't mean you made a good decision. You just got lucky. And I I think if if you look at GDP growth and inflation decelerating, you want to own things that will protect you in that environment. Uh, And if you've owned gold and and, and things of that nature, you've actually protected yourself on the downside when the market was going lower last year uh, without giving a whole lot, giving away much in terms of capital appreciation on the upside.
1: All right. Let's talk a little bit more about that downside, especially when it comes to downside protection for portfolios. Um, you're looking at commodities for downside protection, at least in the near term. So I want to ask you, why commodities instead of tech? Tech's booming.
0: Right, right. So a- actually, commodities have actually been been negative because there's there's no growth. You saw that last week. I mean, oil, last month, rather, oil and corn and soybeans are down almost, sometimes almost by, by 10%. So commodities won't protect you in this environment. Tech is, has done well. I'll, I'll remind people that, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ earnings, Earnings growth is down almost ten percent. It's still sixteen percent below where you could have bought it at the cycle highs, um,
1: and it's also the the growth has been very concentrated. Wait, but um, but Ivory, I want to jump in for a second. But you're really yeah. bullish on gold, which is a commodity. Yeah, yeah, gold. But, but gold is
0: more a store of value. Um, it's a, it's a safe haven. Uh, so so that's why I've been been bullish on gold. If if you're really aggressive, you can buy gold miners, uh, and then for conservative investors, you know, money markets are paying you for four and a half percent. Uh, with little volatility. So I'd I'd make the distinction between gold and, you know, the oil and natural gas and soybean and corn. But gold is a way to protect the portfolio, you believe, in the near term at least? I I certainly believe so. Um, It it certainly protected us over the last year or so. Uh, Again, it's seen as a safe haven, a a store of value, if you will. Uh, And so anytime you see growth and inflation decelerate, uh, historically, you get a better
1: chance of outperforming the market. All right. But if we get a deal, do you get out of gold? And if you do, what do you get into when you get out of gold?
0: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't I think you get out of gold when you see the, the um, GDP and inflation accelerate, you know, so you're going from from bad to good, which which would be great. I don't think the debt ceiling is going to impact gold because our economy will still be in the same place. The debt if we if, okay. <laughs> if, if we the debt ceiling doesn't doesn't if we default on our debt, that that's a
1: whole nother that is a whole game. other thing. That is but, a whole but other fixing thing, it, isn't going to change things. Yeah, we got to leave the conversation there. Ivory Johnson, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, it's not TV, and starting today, it's not even HBO Max. A look at the new streaming service set to hit the app stores. Plus, what activists want to see from Yelp that's sending shares of that stock surging in the pre market. And then later, our Jim Kramer on the debt ceiling talks and why Wall Street may be over it even before a deal is done. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us.
3: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, the latest development in the streaming wars. Warner Brothers Discovery launches its combined streaming service of HBO Max and Discovery Plus, simply titled Max. Like its predecessor, Max will offer several subscription tiers Max Ad Light, Max Ad Free, and Max Ultimate Ad Free, ranging in price, download capabilities, and video quality. And it's not just Warner Brothers. Paramount announcing it will combine Paramount Plus with Showtime next month. The move comes with increased prices for subscribers. And rebranding original content as Paramount Plus with Showtime. Joining me now to discuss Matthew Harrigan, senior equity analyst at the Benchmark Company. Matthew, great to have you here.
4: Thank you. Good all to right,
1: see so you. we're seeing some rebranding. We're seeing some content combinations. I guess you might want to call it. What does this all tell us about the state of the streaming service? And are we still seeing the streaming wars?
4: Well, I think streaming is unquestionably the. You know, primary conduit for delivering, you know, video content, you know, versus linear. Uh, I, I think that Max is in an excellent, you know, position given the portfolio of content, you know, the originals, the movies, uh, you know, kids, increasingly, you know, sports and news over a period of time, although that's you know, fairly nascent. So, yes, there is a streaming war, but I think that they're coming from a very good position given the uh, brand name of, uh, of HBO and the other, the other content that they have.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit more about Warner Brothers Discovery. You actually are very bullish on the stock. You have the second highest price target on the street at 26 bucks. Right now it's trading at about 12 bucks a share. So give us a sense, the combination, the slate of movies and shows it has coming up, the potential to have sports, specifically the NBA. How does that shape your thoughts about this, this company and the streaming service?
4: Well, I think this is a great, you know, risk reward balance. You know, we picked it up last year after it had already, you know, basically imploded. You know, I think you've got the protection of a double digit, you know, free cash flow yield. You know, lots of progress on the cost control, a uh, being orchestrated, and, and really one of the premier bouquets of content in Hollywood, both in terms of the uh, libraries and in terms of the active uh, production pipeline. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, hits, you know, The Last of Us, uh, you know, House of the Dragon, et cetera. So, I, I think they're in a good position, and I think that HBO was really in uh, Back the other businesses, and you know the, the legacy Turner businesses were were mismanaged, uh, you know, for quite a number of years. So it's really a matter of restoring the lustre as opposed to uh, doing something from a from a standing start. So I, I think they're in an excellent position, and, and they're clearly going to be one of the prime players. Of, no, no pun intended, relative to Amazon <laughs> over a period of time.
1: You, well, You mentioned Turner. Obviously, there's Turner Sports, which has the NBA. They're a really great studio show inside the NBA that a lot of people have really identified with the league. It's just really a flagship show. So the potential for this service to have the NBA, is that a possible game changer? Because you also mentioned some of the shows, House of Dragon, there's the Flash movie coming up. There's some other hits that are in the pipeline.
4: Well, I, th- I think the NBA, along with college basketball, NHL, et cetera, is, is really important uh, you know, to turn to sports and the overall uh, programming posture over there. Uh, Zaslav, that the CEO has gone back and forth on on the absolute intent to have, have the HBO have uh, have the NBA, but I think it's incredibly important. You've seen how good the the, the games this year, the the conference finals have, have been, and there's a really close relationship between uh, uh, Turner and and, you'll say, and NBA TV. I mean, they're housed in the same studio. Clearly, you know, the personality, I mean, somebody could post, let's say, Charlie Barkley and Ernie and all that. But uh, you know those, those personalities are unquestionably important to the identity of, of the NBA. So I think it's a very symbiotic, you know, partnership. You know, clearly you've got some big wallets out there. You know, I think what really saves you is kind of the dissolution of, of, of the, some of the RSNs and po- the possibility of having just more games available. So it's possible that they have the NBA and, and some other streaming services would, would as well. So I think to some extent, everyone could live you know happily happily ever after. Okay. Under that circumstance. Right.
1: Matthew Harrigan, price target of 26 bucks for Warner Brothers Discovery. Great to have you here. Thank you. All right. Now turn into a news alert we need to tell you about. EU antitrust regulators have dropped their investigation into the Alliance for Open Media's video licensing policy. So just to kind of spell this out. Members of that alliance include Google, Amazon, Apple and Meta. So the European Commission have been looking at a possible anti-competitive behavior related to the license terms of the AOM's new streaming software. So here's a look at how those different companies are trading in the pre-market after this decision. Looking at Alphabet, Meta, and Apple all down fractionally, Amazon up fractionally. Not sure if this decision is definitely impacting those companies. But again, EU antitrust regulators, they dropped their investigation into the Alliance for Open Media's video licensing policy. The companies on your screen, these big tech companies, are in that alliance, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, and Apple. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, forget buying low. Your big money movers and Kathy Wood's latest big bet. Plus, while the bullish trend in big tech, it may be coming to an end. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming back right after this.
2: Have you ever
3: brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, CNBC's inaugural CEO Council Summit convening on the West Coast this week. Leaders, not only in business and finance, but also in culture, sports and academia, they're coming together to tackle the most pressing issues that CEOs face today. Top executives exchanging ideas with a new generation of leaders as debates rage over the nation's finances, an AI revolution and a dangerous escalation in U.S.-China tensions. Squawk on the Street and Mad Money, they're live with exclusive interviews for more, visit CNBC.com slash CEO. From day one of the summit yesterday, Nike CEO John Donahoe sat down with CNBC's Sarah Eisen, Nike's position in China and its commitment to being a global company, a pillar of that conversation.
4: We believe trade, global trade is a good thing. We believe consumers benefit from that around the world. We believe that's, that helps employees around the world. We believe that frankly, can almost help promote peace and understanding. The business has to step up when the political institutions are, are in the state they're in today. And so we're committed to being a global company, whether that be in China, whether that be in other, other markets, and, and yes, there's risk. I think decoupling is, would be disastrous economically between the US and China, or China and, and or European Union. If you really look at the trade flows um, both ways, they play a mutually valuable role. And so, um, you know, again, we believe in global trade and we'll continue to try to do everything we can to support that.
1: And we'll have much more from our CEO Council Summit later on in the day. But time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We begin with Kathy Wood adding approximately $4 million worth of Palantir stock across multiple funds yesterday, including the ARK Innovation ETF, the ARK Fintech ETF, and the ARK Next Generation ETF, the moves as Palantir rallies up more than 50 percent since just before the company reported earnings earlier this month, where they boasted a second straight quarter of gap profitability and a massive potential revenue uptick related to A.I. That stock is already trading at a 52 week high. Shares are up fractionally this morning. Shares of Zoom Zoom video also ticking higher after the company posted better than expect, excuse me, ticking lower this morning, down a third of a percent after the company reported better than expected results for fiscal Q1, including a revenue increase of three percent and issued a strong Q2 outlook. Zoom CEO saying the results reflect enterprise growth and stabilizing online revenue, following a nine percent increase in the company's enterprise customer base. Zoom CFO will have more on those results coming up. And a first on CNBC interview at 8:40 a.m. Eastern on Squawk Box. An activist investor, TS, TCS Capital Management, has reportedly built up a stake in Yelp. T.C.S. is urging the company to explore strategic options, including a sale. The Wall Street Journal says T.C.S. ranks among Yelp's five biggest shareholders with an ownership of over four percent, and is suggesting that Yelp could be sold for at least 70 bucks a share are more than double the current stock price, looking at shares of Yelp this morning, up more than 13 percent. All right, straight ahead, a war on two fronts, what TikTok is doing to try to ease national security concerns while it gets set for a legal fight in Montana. Plus, Jamie Dimon's top concern when it comes to the regional banking sector. It's all coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. It is just before 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy's stalemate over the debt ceiling. It continues after the leader's latest sit-down fails to produce a deal. We are live in Washington with the latest on where these negotiations stand and what it all means as we come closer to the X Plus, Lowe's set to report its results in just about 30 minutes as the home improvement giant gives the latest look at the growing caution among consumers. We will tee up those earnings. And J.P. Morgan Chief Jamie Dimon out with a new warning for banks and a potential rising worry for that embattled sector. It is Tuesday, May the 23rd. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Thanks for starting your morning with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. After a mixed session for stocks yesterday, they saw the Nasdaq close at its highest level since August. Right now, we're seeing futures a kind of a mixed picture. The Nasdaq up fractionally, the S&P and the Dow also down fractionally. All right. Speaking of the Nasdaq, tech really continues to be the star of the markets this year. Take a look at this. This is the XLK ETF. You can see right here, it's up just about 27 percent year to date. But as our CNBC data team points out, that run, it could be coming to an end with new technical signals showing the ETF is now in overbought territory with a relative strength index indicator of 70.8. That is just above the threshold of 70. Our data team adds 21 of the 66 components of the XOK, also have an RSI above 70. That includes two of the big gainers this year. We're talking Microsoft and Alphabet. You see Microsoft up 34 percent this year, Alphabet up over 40 percent. All right, time now for checking this morning's top stories, including TikTok taking action over one state's recent ban of the social media app. Silvana Hanau, she's here with those details. Silvana, good morning.
6: Hey, Frank, good morning. Yeah, so TikTok officially suing Montana's attorney general to try and stop that state's ban of the app. Lawyers for the China-based company argue the ban violates the First Amendment, adding the national security threat raised by Montana and its new law is not something state officials can attempt to regulate. TikTok is seeking to have the law, which has not gone into effect yet, overturned. Meanwhile, TikTok will reportedly soon give Oracle full access to key data for the social media app. According to Bloomberg, that will include source code, algorithm, and content moderation material in a push to ease national security concerns. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon out with a new warning on potential fresh risks to the banking sector. Speaking at the bank's Investor Day yesterday, Dimon said that commercial real estate is the area most likely to cause problems for some lenders. And Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison is looking to put his money behind newly announced 2024 GOP presidential candidate Tim Scott. Sources tell CNBC that Ellison has donated at least $30 million to a super PAC supporting the South Carolina senator since the 2022 midterms and plans to at least double that amount Ellison attended Scott's campaign announcement yesterday with a senator praising Ellison at the event, calling him one of my mentors.
1: Frank. All right. Savannah now. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Turning back to the debt ceiling talks and all the developments around that. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy failing to reach a deal following their roughly 90 minute sit down at the White House yesterday afternoon. But Speaker McCarthy calling the meeting productive with just over a week left to avoid a potential debt default. Our Kayla Tausche joins us now from Washington. Kayla, good morning. What are the two sides saying following that one-on-one conversation?
5: Well, Frank, good morning. Negotiators met again late last night to try to build on the positive momentum established by President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. On the phone on Sunday, McCarthy, who despite reaching no deal, both of the attendees said the meeting was productive. President Biden, for his part, said there are areas of disagreement, but that the two reiterated once again that default is off the table and the only way to move forward is in good faith toward a bipartisan agreement. McCarthy, speaking to reporters after the meeting, said that he thought that there was room to improve.
0: I actually believe at the end of the day, we can come to an agreement. So that's why we're together. Why, why it was productive today and not, not giving um, progress We only talked about where our differences were. We talked about items that, um, ideas to find that. So we're asking the staff to get back and run through those ideas to see if we could come to an agreement.
5: Now, the two sides are arriving at some common ground, sources tell CNBC and NBC News, namely unlocking up to 60 billion dollars in unspent covid aid and reducing payments to drug companies by negotiating even more drugs under Medicare. That, the White House estimates, could could save up to $200 billion over 10 years. Now, Frank, it's not the $4.5 trillion that Republicans are looking for, but it's a start, and it keeps the talks moving, and we will see what staff-level negotiators can continue to hammer out today after meeting again late last night.
1: Yeah, a lot of talk about the staff meeting behind the scenes. So, Kayla, I want to run this by you. Goldman Sachs putting the odds of a deal getting done this week at 30%. The bank says it's far more likely we'll see something complete by early next month. What's your sense of these negotiations? What are your sources telling you? What are you seeing?
5: Well, certainly, getting full legislative text of a deal takes a long time and it takes a pretty heavy lift. So, reaching an agreement and then allowing for three to five days to get some of that text together is probably a reasonable assumption. It doesn't seem like that amount of time necessarily exists here, but I think it's important to hear that both sides committed to avoiding a default because there are some stopgap measures that they could adopt if they feel that talks are progressing. They could, for instance, Uh, do a short-term debt limit increase of a month to four months to align with the uh, September 30th government funding deadline. That's something that we've heard that some Biden administration officials believe might be the best-case approach. As for now, they don't want to make it seem that they're not negotiating toward this deadline because that certainly is the deadline that they're working toward. But they do have other levers that they can pull if they get close to that date. And neither side wants a default, but they don't quite have it together yet.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody in America wants a default. Kayla Tausche, great reporting as always. I'm sure it's going to be a busy day for you. Thank you. All right, so far, the debt ceiling standoff. It does not appear to be rattling the stock market, as investors seem pretty confident a deal will be reached to avoid a default. The S&P 500 up 9% this year at its highest level since last August. The VIX has, the VIX has also stayed pretty calm, trading near its lowest level since late 2021. However, the bond market, especially the short end of the curve, is showing some signs of unease. The yield on the one-month T-bill spiking today to a record high. It's signaling traders are avoiding the underlying asset, given concerns over whether the U.S. can pay its bills after June 1st. Let's talk more about what may be needed to get a deal over the finish line with Jeanette Lowe, director of policy research at strategist. Jeanette, great to see you. Great to see you. All right, so we're highlighting the one-month trading pretty close to an all-time high, just above 5.8% pretty big risk premium when it comes to the one month. So does the sentiment reflect the reality in your mind?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely the fact that we are pretty close to the X state. There definitely has to be some, um, you know, some measures put into the market to have a little bit of fear about whether or not we are actually going to cross that X state. And, you know, at, This is always a hard thing in Washington because we tend to go down to the wire. And so it does make it a little bit more difficult for people to know if there is a guarantee that the U.S. is actually going to find a debt ceiling deal and actually get it across the finish line. So I think that you are seeing um, some risk built in over just the near term as we kind of look ahead to this June 1st deadline. Um, that. You know, our view is definitely that we think that the X date is what they are focused on right now. They're focused on the June 1st deadline. As Kayla mentioned, there are some options if they cannot get a deal by then. But I think in general, the the, the players in the room are actually trying okay. to make sure that we do get something done by June 1st.
1: All right. Translate a little D.C. talk for us. On Sunday, we heard that President Biden McCarthy had a productive call. This meeting was productive, but still no deal. And we hear the staff's working behind the scenes is productive code for something.
6: Uh, productive
7: definitely is at least constructive and it's positive. So it does mean that we're seeing that they're actually making movement. You know, I think if you look at maybe a week or so ago, you saw them more talking from their corners. Now they're really getting into the weeds. They're actually talking about specific budget items that they can, they can change, they can maneuver. Um, And that's important. So From our standpoint, we continue to at least see progress. Obviously, there was that pause over the weekend um, on Friday when the negotiators kind of left the room and said they were going to take a pause. But then after that, you started to see um, McCarthy and Biden get back together, talking on the phone on Sunday, having the meeting last night. I'm sure they'll probably meet again uh, today and over the next couple of days if that is needed. But I think the fact that we are actually getting into the weeds here shows that we are likely to get a deal. And again, I do think that because we are looking at that June 1st deadline as that X date, no one really wants to cross it because that would have a much bigger market impact. And so I think that they are working to make sure there's a deal ahead of them.
1: You know, a lot of confidence about a deal getting done. In fact, Goldman put out some research yesterday It was before the meeting. That's important to note. But before the meeting, saying 30 percent chance of a deal this week, 70 percent chance of a deal by early June. So it seems that there's a lot of confidence the deal will get done. But what about the U.S. credit rating? We haven't heard a lot from the credit rating agencies. What do you see as the outlook on that? Is it possible that the U.S. could be downgraded again as we were back in 2011?
7: So I think that there is that risk out there. Um, you know, if we've actually been a little surprised by how quiet the credit rating agencies have been. Um, I think, you know, if you look back at 2011, though, you did have the S&P kind of give fair warning to some extent that they were looking at doing a downgrade um, on July 14th. That downgrade then happened after a debt ceiling deal was reached. But part of that was on the fact that they felt that they needed more spending cuts to be included. And part of that was also on process. This time around, you know, the debt ceiling fights are never enjoyable um, and they're always a little bit gut wrenching. But I do feel like the process this time is a little less toxic. But the closer we do get to June 1st, and if it looks like we're not going to be able to have a deal, I think there definitely is more risk. That there could we could see something from the credit agencies.
1: All right. Certainly something to watch. That would be a very big deal for the U.S. economy as well. Jeanette Lowe, great to have you here. Thank you.
7: Thank you so much.
1: All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we're going to go from Jeanette Lowe to Lowe's. Those results out in just about 20 minutes. Our next guest lays out the bull case and why it's no Home Depot. Worldwide Exchange, we are back in a moment. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We start with HSBC upgrading Chevron to buy from hold with a new $189 price target, which is actually down from a previous target of $193 a share. HSBC says Chevron shares are underperforming, and it has an attractive distribution yield on par with its EU peers. Another big uh, price target raise is talking about NVIDIA. Stifle raising its price target from $225 to $300 a share. It says AI positioning remains a key medium-term driver. NVIDIA is set to report its results tomorrow. And we got a pair of upgrades from Goldman Sachs raising Quantarix and Myriad Genetics, each to a buy. Goldman calling Quantarix a pure play neurology company coming into view and saying that Myriad's improved financial profile is not reflected in its share price. Looking at shares of both up pretty big in the, in the pre-market, up 9 percent for Quantrix. All right. Earnings of the consumer taking center stage once again this week with results from Lowe's, Dick's Sporting Goods and Best Buy. A key focus for Lowe's when it reports at the top of the hour is home improvement trends, of course, with customers less eager to spend on remodels compared to last year. The earnings coming on the back of rival Home Depot's results last week reporting its worst revenue miss in nearly 20 years. Let's talk a lot more about this with Michael Laster, UBS Broadline and Hardline retail analyst. Michael, great to have you here. Morning, Frank. All right, looking at shares of Lowe's in the pre-market, down in the pre-market The results coming up in just about 30 minutes from now. What are you expecting? And is Home Depot a read-through to what you're expecting from Lowe's?
8: So we're expecting that uh, Lowe's going to comp down around 3%. That's in line with the consensus. Most likely, it'll reiterate its full-year guidance. There's a chance it'll be a little bit more cautious given some of the softer trends that have occurred so far this year. In response to your second question, Lowe's, uh, Home Depot is obviously a read for for Lowe's this morning. But keep in mind that call, Home Depot called out California as an area of weakness. And Lowe's has only 6% of its stores in California versus 12% for Home Depot. Also, Home Depot noted that it saw underperformance of the pro business. And the pro business accounts for about 25% of the business at Lowe's versus 50% for Home Depot. So there are reasons to be a bit more optimistic at Lowe's than Home Depot. Still, it's, it's clear that there is now some give back for the home improvement category, and we expect to see that within Lowe's results this morning.
1: So what's causing what you call that give back, or basically a slowdown in sales? Is it the slowdown in the housing market, or is it that consumers are a bit stretched right now?
8: So I think it's a couple things. One, we spent the better part of the last few years, I'm sure you did too, Frank, Uh, sitting in our homes, doing a lot of home improvement projects. And now we're shifting our spend to other categories like leisure and traveling. The other other point is that the consumer is feeling a bit stretched. A lot of the excess savings has been worked down. And as the consumer has less money to spend, they're being more discerning. They have to spend more on necessities rather than luxuries. And so some of those elective projects are, are being scaled back in home improvement. We expect this to be a trend for the rest of the year. And as we work through this softer patch, we will get into more stabilized demand that will benefit Home Depot and Lopes.
1: All right, Michael, we got to leave it there. By the way, I just Thanks, redid Frank. my screens and I'm cleaning out the garage. So if you want to come by and help me out, that'd be great. I <laughs> certainly will.
8: <Frank>. <laughs> Michael Master
1: great stuff as always. Thanks for being here.
8: Thank
1: you. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today Plus, Arias Asset Management's Carrie Firestone, she's going to lay out the trading day ahead and the stocks that she says are high on her radar, including her pick for a really big tech play. And CNBC is celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage throughout the month of May. As we had a break, here is Apothecary founder and CEO Shizu Okusa.
7: What makes me proud of being an Asian-American founder is my parents. They immigrated here in the 1980s with nothing. They were farmers. And here I am today, having raised over $13 million of venture capital on my second company, Apothecary, filmed for Shark Tank, and I am just getting started.
1: Live shots from around the world this morning. We're looking at London. Hong Kong, New York, and Washington, D.C. A lot of action in all those towns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We start with shares of Zoom, losing steam in extended trading despite better-than-expected Q1 earnings and Q2 forecasts. Its annual revenue forecast, though, representing a gain of just about 2% from a year ago, raising concerns about growth. Activist investor, TCS Capital Management, unveiling a 4% stake in Yelp. And urging the company to explore strategic options, including a sale, TCS believes Yelp can get at least $70 a share, about double the current stock price, according to the Wall Street Journal. Yelp shares, as you can see, surging on that report. Overseas, top investors at British American Tobacco are calling on the new chief executive to restart its share buyback program in an effort to speed up the return to capital to shareholders and to boost the company's ailing stock price. Walgreens reaching a tentative settlement with consumers who received Theranos blood tests in Arizona and California and claimed the drugstore giant was willfully blind to that fraud. Terms of that deal have not been provided. Tesla's first shipments to North America from its Shanghai factory are starting to show up for sale. The company's website in Canada showing this morning that Model 3s and Model Ys are available for immediate delivery. And former Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke making the case a soft landing is still possible for the central bank. In a paper with former IMF chief economist, Bernanke argues the Fed can still beat back inflation without a large rise in unemployment. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. On the economic front, we get flash manufacturing and services PMI figures this morning, along with new home sales numbers. As for earnings, we just discussed Lowe's is out in just a few minutes. We also get results from Dick's Sporting Goods and Toll Brothers. And the Dallas Fed president, Lori Logan, set to deliver a speech at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Of course, also top of mind for investors is Washington and the ongoing debt ceiling talks. It's an issue. Jim Cramer notes may actually be falling off Wall Street's wall of worry. Here's Jim from last night. It seems buyers who were everywhere except in the defense of stocks that historically thrive in recessions have simply decided that bonds don't matter. It's like they don't care about the debt ceiling negotiations at all, and they're not the least bit daunted or even worried about a possible government default. Is it possible the whole debt ceiling standoff is meaningless? That's certainly what the market seems to be saying. Look at what went up: the stocks of companies that don't have much money, the ones that reported terrible quarters, the Kathy Wood kind of stories about no profits, just future growth and so-called out years. The buyers of the stocks of these companies seem indifferent to what's happening now, including those nasty debt ceiling talks. All right, that was our Jim Cramer. Joining me now with her take is Carrie Firestone, CNBC contributor and Arius Asset Management CEO. Carrie, what do you think? Jim Cramer have it right. Is this falling off of Wall Street's wall of worry?
9: Hi, Frank. Well, it it seems to be of less concern to Wall Street than we might have expected, I mean, if we do default on our debt, that's definitely not going to be good. But the market has continued to go up. It's up nine and a half percent this year. Uh, what we would say is that the market is not always correct in its assessment. If we get to a week from now and we still don't have an agreement, of course, that's a risk. And so, therefore, you can't just dismiss it. You really have to take seriously that there is some percent chance that we won't reach an agreement.
1: What do you make of the one-month T-bill right now at 5.88? It's at a record high. What does that say to you about investor sentiment and confidence, at least on Wall Street, that this deal is going to get done in a timely manner?
9: Well, for, for that one year to trade at a high rate, that high rate is is really amazing. I mean, people, first of all, should take advantage of it if they have an opportunity, because I'm not sure we're going to see 5.8% for, for long. Um, I, I think that we're having this mismatch, as, as Jim alluded to, you know, there are concerns that's driving up treasuries. I mean, who knows where the treasury rate would go if there was really a default. So, you know, I I think these moves in the near term, a lot of volatility are are really signaling very short term distress concerns, then um, some sort of a a, a relief rally in the bond market. But we'll see what happens uh, in a week.
1: All right. So obviously you have a lot of clients who are talking to you about everything that's going on. What are you advising when it comes to portfolio protection? Is there something that investors can do or at least keep in mind to protect their portfolios?
9: Yeah, sure, we think so. So uh, we have not done anything so dramatic as to raise you know, tons of cash because we're concerned that the market's going to have a, a dramatic decline. I mean, that's beyond where we're considering. And there always is a resolution, it's just about timing. What we decided to do is take some money off the table from stocks that had either had strong runs up. We we trimmed a number of names and we also decided that there are some stocks that have big exposures to government contracting and perhaps we should scale those back. So on this and then add some names where there was more protection, more defensiveness, less concern about being paid by the government. So, for example, we we trimmed some holdings in Booz Allen Hamilton. It's a large defense contractor. It's been a very good stock over the years. And that was when we decided we should have less exposure to. Um, also, Wabtec, which makes... Uh, Freight cars and light rail. And while they're not necessarily paid by the federal government, there's a lot of government money that goes to them. Been a good stock. And so we we trim that name. We added to Nextera Charter uh, Communications, for example, and um, we felt that those, again, were very inexpensive names on the charter side, next Nextera. It's a utility. I mean, they're going to get paid. Uh, we like their exposure to sustainable energy. And we also added a little more um, TMO, um, uh, Thermo Fisher, because that has been a, a stock that was great in COVID. And then it, it's come back down. And we like the price here.
1: You know, Carrie, important to note, uh, the NASDAQ just turned negative just a few minutes ago. So all the futures in the red right now but I want to talk to you about just the breadth of the market run-up that we've seen. It's just been a few stocks. A lot of people pointing to Microsoft, Alphabet, NVIDIA really being the drivers. Apple's in that group as well. Um, a lot of index investors watch this show, a lot of index investors, period. Are you concerned that it's only those few stocks at the top moving the market higher?
9: Yeah, exactly. Of course, that's a concern. If 80% of the market gains this year can be attributed to. 10 names. That's too narrow. Uh, that other 490 plus names that haven't done much, they, tr- they trade at 14 times earnings. And uh, uh, the word that we've used is reemergence, because if we are able to solve this debt ceiling problem and we are avoiding a recession we have so far, maybe we'll see a re- reemergence of the rest of the market, because it's trading at a very reasonable multiple. And we need more breath in order for the market to sustain this advance higher. Definitely.
1: All right, Kerry Firestone, great to see you as always. Got to leave the conversation there. Thank you for the insight. So as we mentioned, futures turning in the negative. The Nasdaq, I should say, turning in the negative, joining the S&P and the Dow Jones, all three down higher. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only
8: Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.